Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. Well, uh, I kind of, maybe, maybe I was a little, I, I, if I sound a little rough on worship teams last time, I'm sorry about that. I, I didn't mean to sound rough. I just, I guess, uh, I, 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 well, I probably made my point anyways. I, I might've overmade my point, but I was just trying to make a point. I do think there are that there needs to be a level of expectation and standards for people who lead worship because of the value of what they do. And if we just make it about talent, uh, if we just make it about a performance, then I, I think we, we're, we're not evil or sinful or even wrong. I just think we're not, we're not giving it the value that it needs. We're not honoring the role of worship as it should be, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. Or like, if that's your only option is to, is, you know, is to pay musicians, then, and you know, they come, they play and they leave. That's, then that's fine. I just, I personally, this is not, I understand corporately things might need to be different, but personally, I think striving for what David set up is, is the goal. That's what we should strive for. I, 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 I don't know how else to say it. Um, uh, but I love, I, I love worship. I, I just, I love it. And, and I, uh, I hope that came across. I value it so highly. And, uh, I might've sounded like I was angry if people didn't run their worship teams the way, you know, the way that David did. I just think that he valued it. He set a standard that I believe he picked up based on principles that I believe he saw in heaven and and in his, we'll call it revelation from from heaven, uh, and he brought it here to earth. And I just think it's really valuable to, to take a look at it and say, all right, how close are we to that standard? And if we're missing it, is there a way that we can increase it? I guess it's okay. Okay, you've done enough, Bob. You've done enough. <laughs> Let's move on with the story. Yeah, that's a good idea. Thanks so much. Appreciate you coming into my head and reminding me of that. Okay. Oh, man, it's a good day. So in uh, 2 Samuel 7, we, we, <laughs> we're in that part of the story that, that unless you've been in church like as long as I have, which is a long time, <laughs> I literally... Uh, you know, I, I can't remember ever not going to church. I um, which is fine. Like I don't, I don't look at it as a bad thing. I I love my life. I love the journey I'm, I've been on. I love God's relentless pursuit of who I am and my identity and drawing it out of me and and unwrapping it from from the crazy layers of of expectation that religion put on me and all that came from my past and in, in the churches I grew up in, but I'm not sorry for that. Like, I don't, I don't hate them. It, it so much of the conservative fundamentalism that I grew up in gave me a passion for scripture that, 
that I need. And, and, and I think it helps balance the passion and life giving spirit led, um, voice of God that I have in me that I think everybody has in them, but, but it often gets squashed by, by other things. And, and I love, I love my, I love, I love my whole journey. I just do. And, and I may, I may throw out, um, I don't know, zingers? I don't know. I might throw out comments. <laughs> Thank you so much. Once again, the engineer in my head helping me out. Uh, I might throw out comments that make it, you know, that that disparage some of the religious mindsets that I grew up in. But that, it, the, trust me, a religious mindset has nothing to do with theology. I currently work for uh, uh, the, the founders of our church. They They grew up in theologically the polar opposite of what I grew up in. I grew up in conservative, fundamentalist, Baptist world. They grew up in charismatic, Pentecostal world. But religion is religion, and religion seeks to control people's behavior, and religion will have you earn what God will freely give you. You'll have to earn God's favor. You have to earn God's blessing. You have to earn God's healing. You have to earn God's God's grace. You have to do something to get something. That's that's really what religious spirits is all about. What what I what my definition my definition. Okay, that's not my definition. I heard that definition. I just want you to know. I don't know where I heard it. I can't give them credit because I don't know where I heard it. But that's the definition I'm working with. Thank you very much. I'm working with that definition. When I say a religious spirit, that's what I'm talking about. It steals from you the freedom of the love of God and makes you earn stuff that he's already given you, literally already given you. And it makes you operate and behave in such a way that that you could lose something that God says he's given you and would never take away. But man, it may, they, they're so good. Religion is so good at making it sound like you have to earn it, like you better, or 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 you might lose it, or you know, or somebody else has more of it than you do. Like it's ah, oh, it's maddening. It's maddening, and it clearly comes from the enemy because it steals people. It steals people's joy. It steals people's awareness of God. It steals people. Uh, it destroys relationships because you will separate here. You will separate over, over the stupidest thing. You'll destroy relationship over the stupidest thing. I was literally asked to perform a wedding for a family member. Right. But on a, on a religious, on a religious principle, I refused because well, there was, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I, I cringe to tell the story. I cringe. I cringe. Internally, I just can't believe I was there. But I was. And I was there passionately because I thought, this is a huge sacrifice. This will make God really happy. This will make the people I hang with really happy. I'm going to refuse to do the wedding because, because both the people involved had been divorced and God hates divorce. Yeah. Oh. Oh man, I tell you, it, that was that was a stupid, stupid decision. And I remember, you, you know, a few. Uh, yes, it caused tension. Uh, this crazy thing is, 
They showed such grace, they invited us to the wedding anyway. They invited us to the wedding anyway. Like, I, they were so hospitable. Like, I, if I had, if I'd asked a family member to perform a wedding for me and they had said no, I don't, like, I'm, it would have been natural for me to be like, all right, well, then basically don't worry about coming to the wedding. Just, you know, if you, if you can't support what I'm doing, why would I pay for you to be here? Why would I buy you a meal? Like, oh man. Anyways, they were so gracious and hospitable and they let us come to the wedding and we, you know, we danced at the wedding. We had a great time there. It was a really fun wedding. Looking back, everything about it, I wish I, I wish I had done it. And I remember years later, I I had grown out of some of that religious, not all of it yet at that time, but I, I grew out of some of the religious bondage and I realized, you know what, that was that was a really poor choice on my part. And they were very gracious and kind. And I called them and I apologized for being a jackass. Now at the time I thought I was just, man, I thought I was righteous. I thought it was true. And and I know that God appreciated my motive. That my motive was tr- was was right. My my choice was really wrong. So I don't think God was looking at it going, "Oh, Bob, you're a horrible person." He was like, "Okay, I appreciate the fact that you're trying to be passionate. You're you know, you're trying to be true. You're just you're just wrong." <laughs> and and I think God is so gracious with so many, even even me now. Like, there's so many things that people believe and are passionate about, and He thinks, "Yeah, that's really not me." <laughs> I get it. You're trying to represent me. You're trying to do this right, and that's why I look at your heart and not at what you're doing because I love will cover this, and and it's the same thing when the Holy Spirit helps us pray. Right? We pray. <laughs> so many people will pray like. God, rain down death and destruction. Make them feel guilty. Make they, make they feel shame and humiliation. God, just destroy them. I'm thinking you're, like now I hear those prayers and I think, man, you're literally praying what the enemy is. You're praying the devil. You're praying to kill, steal, and destroy those per- people's lives because they're wrong? Because, because you're right? Because what they're doing is evil? no. Oh, good grief. Like, you pray the love of God on them. You want to see evil stop. Watch somebody encounter the love of God. It it destroys evil. It removes darkness so fast out of someone's life. They they they're overcome. That's what you pray. You don't pray. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you do pray it because you don't know better. So I'm not, I'm not yelling at you. I know I get passionate. I can tell because I redlined on my <laughs> on my on my little screen that I get to watch. Uh, I don't have to watch it. I get to watch it. I like to see all the little lines go up and down. But, but <laughs> you pray it. Oh, you pray it. You're passionate. You love God. You just really want evil to end. Trust me, the only way it ends is with love. <clears throat> you you can't you can't remove darkness with darkness. You can't remove death and destruction and shame and guilt and humiliation you can't remove that with more shame guilt and humiliation you just add to it like you literally make the enemy stronger by asking for those things to occur 
because he feeds off of it. You bless the people, you love on the people, and those things get removed. It's it's the way of the Lord. <laughs> it's the way of the kingdom. It's awesome. And and when we when we listen to the voice of God, even if all you're doing is reading it, you have to read it from the perspective of love and hope and peace. Like the voice of God, when you, when I, well, I'm going to read, nice transition, Bob. Thank you so much. Um, we're going we're gonna to look at 2 Samuel 7, and we have this, this, this dream that occurs, and the Lord, quote, speaks to Nathan. Nathaniel? Nathan? Nathan, yeah, Nathan, the prophet, right? And and it, you definitely could read this with a heavy, ugly voice and make it sound like like basically God scolding. But I don't think he, I just don't think he does. Why? Because I don't see Jesus doing it. And Jesus pictured the Father. Whenever you think God sounds like he's about to kill people or he wants to kill people, go to Jesus. Did Jesus do it? No. Then God doesn't either. That's not his goal. That's not what he does. That's what the enemy does. All right. Sorry. I'm, I was about to roll down that roll, that, that road. <laughs> I can cover that on a Thursday. If you want me to go more into that, email me, uh, thebobswitzer.com, and let's talk. We can talk more there. <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll talk. I'll talk your ear off. Lord, Lord have mercy. You know that already. Sorry. I'm cracking myself up and trying to talk at the same time. Okay. 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 Chapter seven. We're in the part of the story that's like the middle, the middle ground. This is the part that makes it an epic. A lot of people like to cover the early stuff. David kills Goliath. And and I still I still cringe when they make him like some some little boy who only had a sling. And had nowhere to go, right? We covered all that back when I covered Goliath, but but he was strong and he was wise and he was agile and he had a freaking rifle in his arm when he when he went after him. Man, those those rocks were lethal weapons and he knew how to use them. He was probably ambidextrous at it as well. It's it's legit death death reigning from above so anyways uh anyways so this middle part of the story often gets referred to in a in a if somebody's doing like a series they'll refer to these things but they don't really they don't really dig into it why because it takes so much time look how much time we've spent on this story the longest uh series i i listened to i listened to somebody who was teaching a course twice a week for 14 weeks he did 28 sessions on the life of david God bless him. That's that honestly, it was the most thorough uh compilation of the life of David I've ever heard, but it still had to gloss over a lot of chapters, combined chapters, and and he was within a time limit. He had about a 40 to 45 minute session every time because he was teaching a class or a chapel or something, because the whole student body was there. So I assume it was a chapel, but but still, we we miss these parts, and that's why I'm in it. That's why I'm in it for the long haul, because I like these parts. These parts 
remind me of life. That that David's life was complicated. It was layered. David's character, complicated, layer. The relationships around David were were many and varied. Right? So David brings the ark in. He gets it set up in the tabernacle. All the logistics of 4,000 musicians and 4,000 gatekeepers and 288 singers, all of that has is, is been planned out in advance, had to be. You don't do this on, a, on the flippity-flip. And he had a man in charge of it that, that, would, that was part of his, we'll call it his cabinet. You know, this guy was probably at every staff meeting because this was highly valued by David. Just a reminder, some characters that will come up later, right? We've got David's sons that are that are growing in the in this capital city. They see the expansion of the city. They see their father passionate about worship. They're probably regulars. Many of them are regulars in the tent in the tabernacle worshiping. Their father is there on a regular basis. They know that this means a lot to him. I don't think David was a very good father, and and we can get into that more when we get to that part of Absalom uh, rebelling. But I think there's pretty clear evidence that that David was an absentee father. He was he was very busy, and he had no fatherly example. Remember, Jesse had abandoned him as a son. Jesse didn't spend any time with him. He didn't have a a fatherly example, and this is what. You know, this is true about life. You you will naturally be inclined to imitate what you grew up with. Now, that if it was a horrible thing, you're still going to be naturally inclined to, re, to repeat it unless you consciously try to change it. And, and you can change it. And you can improve on it. And that's, that's ideally what happens. I can honestly say all three of my sons are better fathers than I was at their age. And they should be. And I'm proud of them. And I've told them that they are. And every one of them have honored me and said, you know, Dad, we couldn't. you were amazing. You're a wonderful father. But I watch them with their kids and I think, man, they're, they are so much better than I was at that age. They're just better fathers. So that's awesome. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But it doesn't always end that way. I do know that. And David grew up with an absentee father, or a father he knew rejected him, right? He called him a, a, I almost said the B word. I don't know if I can say that. Can I say that? But anyways, he did. He called him, that's what he was. He let, his father didn't, didn't protect him from being mocked by everyone. When David writes that psalm, I think it's Psalm 32, I don't remember... I probably should have looked it up. See, this is what you get, Bob. You're just prattling on and on. You didn't do it. You didn't. You didn't know where you were going. Anyways, I, when he wrote that psalm, he's like the the drunk people make fun of me, the elders make fun of me, and everyone in between. Like the whole the whole culture that David grew up in, they mocked his 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 um, heritage because they didn't think he had any. Well, that's the kind of father he was. He didn't know how to father. He he knew that he loved God. He knew that he should, you know, that his children should love God. But remember, he was pretty much self-taught. So I think he probably just told the kids, hey, you know, love God. Hey, go to worship. 
hey, you know, obey your mother. He did he did obey his mother. I think he listened to his mother. Whenever whenever she could sneak away or sneak a moment with him, she'd let him know that, you know, what's going on, or she'd let him know a little bit of wisdom, or she'd encourage him in some way. But he's just doing what he knew, which wasn't great. But anyways, that's going on at this time, right? His sons are, are growing up. You got you got uh, people like uh, Ahithophel, the grandfather of Bathsheba, who's the most trusted uh, counselor of wisdom that that David has on his council. You've got if um, Ephraim, I think, is is Ahithophel's son, who is the father of Bathsheba, right? So they. They, Bathsheba's very aware of who David is. I don't. I don't think David's necessarily fully aware of who Bathsheba is. He knows that he. She's probably related to one of his mighty men. Uh, he might have even danced with her when he brought the ark into the city. I mean, he was dancing with everybody, and she would have been there with her family, with her mom, uh, you know, with her father. She would have known that her grandfather was one of the most trusted men in David's council. She would have known that her father had some influence on that because that's what happens, right? You sit around in family meals. You talk about things. The men talk about things. She wouldn't have known what they were talking about. She would have just known that they they were talking about what was going on in the government, treaties that were being signed, peace that was being uh, uh, negotiated, Um Trade agreements that had gone through. There's just there's just a lot of uh, a lot of layers in David's life, and that's what's going on here in these middle parts of the of the epic. And they're fun. So when we read the first words, chapter seven, it says, "After the king was settled in his palace." That's what we're talking about. Things things have been going on. Good stuff, favorable stuff, blessings of stuff. The nation is is uh, benefiting. The nation is seeing all kinds of of favorable, awesome stuff. He's settled in his palace. That's what that means. There's just generally peace going on right here, and all his enemies are settled. And David wants more honor and glory for God. This is the heart of David. This is what this is what God talks about when he says he's after my own heart. Like he he wants me to be honored and glorified in every way. And and this, you know, that's just an awesome thing. That's just something that God uh Appreciates God, understands the heart of David. He truly does. And he says, David says to Nathan the prophet, he brings Nathan the prophet in, or Nathan's hanging out. Maybe Nathan's just hanging out that day. Now, Nathan, you know, was in essence the replacement of Samuel the prophet. He's he's not the high priest. That's Zadok and uh, his other friend there. I forget, but there's two of them. Nathan's the prophet. He's a forever connection, so to speak, to God. So he says to Nathan, here I am, living in a house of cedar 
while the ark of God remains in a tent. Now, implied in that was, I want to do something for God. I want to do something more. I mean, what I did was, what I did was, was fun. It was awesome. And in the moment, it was all we could do. But I'm sitting here. I'm at peace. I'm in the palace. The palace is beautiful, made of cedar planks and logs and and the floors are done. And I mean, it's just, it's gorgeous. I, I do that and I, you know, I stand out on my balcony and I listen to the music and the singing that's coming up from the, from the ark, you know, from the temple, uh, tabernacle, from the tent that's down there. And it's awesome. And then I realize, wait a minute, it's a tent. I mean, shouldn't God have a house? like a seriously gorgeous house, like 10 times more beautiful than the palace, 10 times more expensive than the, like this, he should have a house. That's what I'm talking about. And Nathan says to the king, yeah, go for it. I love your idea. Your motive is good. The, you know, your heart is right. The provision's there. This is uh this is pretty awesome. Remember he had David had had already set aside millions of dollars worth in gold and and in silver and in cedar like he was he he was already collecting provisions for for the house of God. So he's thinking I've got what I need like I can we can make this happen. And Nathan's like, "Yeah, go for it. This is good. I like it." I think God's all over this. That's a, this is a, this is a good thing. So David probably starts moving in that direction immediately. I I don't know I don't know if this happened in the morning, in the afternoon, but in David's mind, it's all a go. Like he feels good about it. The prophet feels good about it. Prophet even said like God's with this. Like this is a good this is a good plan. I like it. And uh, then that, you know, then then it's like, go, go, go. And then it's like, no, go. So Nathan goes to sleep that night. And one of the many ways that God speaks is through dreams. Uh, I love dreams. I dream a lot. Um, it it's, it's, uh, it's a language that that is designed i mean anytime god speaks he want he it's designed to draw you more you know closer to him that's why sometimes when somebody somebody's just passionate about about quote the the word of god like they only read the bible but but they don't spend any time really uh, really digging in, like they don't look, they they just read it. They, it's I don't know. There's some people who worship the Bible more than they worship God, and and it's not that they set out to do that. It's just that over time, they just lose that relationship part, and it becomes just academic and just about the word, and that's dangerous. Anything that takes out relationship with God is dangerous, and dreams. Dreams are language all its, uh, you know, in essence uh, of its own, right? There's a lot of, um, 
there's a lot of nuances to it because it's symbol it's symbolic in a lot of ways and you have to you have to ask yourself questions you have to you have to get up and interact with god about it because it's designed to do that it's designed to draw us closer to him and it's true with when he speaks through nature when he's you know through his creation you you hear you know the wind blow or maybe if you're really walking and, and talking with God, like you'll hear the voice of God in, in the wind, in the leaves, in the in the in the brook. You'll hear the the nature worshiping and honoring their creator. And it's beautiful. You you get to the top of a mountain, right? And and it's you look at the vista out in front of you and you want to take a thousand pictures of it. And no matter how good your camera is, you're there's something about it you just can't capture because all of creation is singing and honoring their creator, and you can sense that. So there's lots of ways that God speaks, and dreams is one of them. And Nathan the prophet has a dream, and and the, and in essence, this is what the Lord. This is, I love this. The Lord shows up in a dream. Not in a condemning way, but he tells a story. Now, you know that means a lot to me. I love story. I love that God doesn't show up and just say, hey, Nathan, uh, tell David he can't build a, he can't build me a temple. Everything's cool. I'm going to build it with somebody else. No, he's, he, tells, he tells Nathan a story. Remember, these are, these are bullet points to, to a, a greater story. So this went on. Well, it doesn't have to go on for a long time because it, it probably showed up like a movie where Nathan saw all of this. The Lord says, are you, are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Have I not dwelled in a house from... I have not dwelled in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I move with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any one of their rulers who I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, I I do understand you read that, it seems cold, it seems direct, and it seems ugly, but but you can go, this is, this is where I think, like this is that paradigm. You go to the voice that, of Jesus, you go to the voice that is God, you go to a voice that's hope and love and peace, not one that's angry or disappointed, because that's not God. And I, I know, I, I'm guessing, some of you are like, well, Bob, I think God can get disappointed. I think God can get angry. That's fine. Then just say to yourself, what if? What if God doesn't? What if this verse is actually, what if these verses are actually God showing a picture, showing a movie to Nathan that says, look, look at me. I showed up without a house in Egypt. I led the people I, I, quote, dwelt in a tent. I move with people. I, I like part of part of the beauty of what he's asking here is, is I don't get stuck in one place. I move with the people. I, I live and breathe in relationship. I'm that's where I am. I don't if I wanted a house, I could have commanded any anyone along the way. I could have let it be known. I really want a house of cedar. I want to. I want a permanent structure erected in the promised land somewhere. I don't I don't need it. I don't want it. 
go remind David of how awesome he is. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people. I have been with you wherever you've gone. I've, you know, I've, I've been with you when you defeated your enemies. And yes, your name, I'm going to make your name great. Why? It'll be one of the greatest names of men of, of all the earth. And I will provide a place for my people of Israel and I will plant them so that they will have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them as they did in the beginning. I've done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. This is, this is a reminder to David. It is because we know from history that this doesn't really happen because of the choices that people make. God's saying, listen, if we keep going down this path, that that you've you know that I've I've put you on that you keep choosing to stay on like you're going to shepherd people into a time of amazing peace of unbelievable connection all around not only amongst the nations but even individuals individuals the wicked people individuals won't actually have impact on the nation anymore little side deals backbiting you know, the house of Saul that still is not happy with you. Like, all of that's going to disappear. Why? Because if you keep walking down this path, that's going to be the natural result. The natural result of where you're going. Now, listen. Remind them of this. I will get a house. When your days are over and you're dead and gone, I will take one of your offspring. And I will establish their kingdom as well. And he will be the one who builds a house for me. And I will establish, you know, his throne forever. Now, again, we know that that's not hap- that doesn't happen historically because of the choices that people make. So God's just saying, if we keep going down this path, if we keep making these choices, the natural result is this. You're going to have an offspring and I'm going to raise them. I will be his father. He will be my son. When he does wrong, I'll, quote, punish him. Now, again, I put punish there with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, who I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So, again, this is not as as simple as just reading this out. He's saying, listen, I'm going to, I travel with my people. I stay with my children. I don't hang out one place. David, you're awesome. Your journey's been amazing. And if you keep going down this path, it's going to, it's going to keep being more amazing. And the people around you are going to benefit from it. I will get my house, but it's going to be built by one of your sons. And it's going to be a son that that really follows me. That's what he says when I will be his father. It's not like God's going to come in and influence like un, unnaturally. He's saying he's going to be a son who's going to naturally connect to me. He's He and I are going to have an incredibly tight relationship. 
and I will have an active role in his life. And even though he's, he may make some choices that will cause him pain, in other words, he's going to reap what he sows, and he's going to, in essence, be punished by men. But I'm not leaving him. See, oh, this is so key, right? Because religion would say, see, God punishes Solomon with, with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. These are from God. God does this. No. Solomon does that by the choices he makes. What does God do? My love will never be taken from him. Like my love was taken from Saul. Why was the love of God taken from Saul? Because Saul refused to receive the love of God. Once again, it's easy to read this from a religious mindset and say, see, God didn't love Saul. God removed himself from Saul. No, that can't happen. If God never leaves you or forsakes you, then he never leaves you or forsakes you. You break that. You say, I refuse to receive it. I refuse to be aware of it. I'm not going to do the work of maintaining connection to God. That's what happened with Saul. And periodically it's going to happen with Solomon. But he says, I will never, I'm never going to be taken from him. He will always choose to come back to me. That's the route we're going on. That's, that's really what's going to happen. David doesn't need to build me a temple. I'll get a temple. Don't worry about it. Wow. This had nothing to do with the fact that David's a warrior. David, David, you know, was God knew that David was going to commit adultery. And so he didn't want the temple being built by an adulterous man. No, like I've heard those messages. They're manipulative, guilt-ridden messages that are designed to, to, alter people's behavior. No, this is a this is an amazing dream. Nathan has this dream. He does not wake up feeling uh, scolded by God. He feels empowered by God. He feels full of wisdom by God. He feels informed and and has this revelation from God. I mean, this is awesome. Nathan gets up in the morning and it says he reported to David all the words of the entire revelation. He didn't just read these, these verses to him. He told him the whole story, all the words of the entire revelation. This was, this, was, this was awesome. This was an epic movie that Nathan got while he was dreaming. I'm, I, I do, I mean, at some level, it's a little funny because, because, Nathan was so like, go for it, David. You're awesome. This is going to be great. Build the house. Build the house for God. This is a good thing. And then the next day he's like, so listen, I had a dream last night. <laughs> God showed up. Uh, I saw this amazing movie. Let, let me walk you through it. <laughs> he just goes through the whole thing. You know, the whole the whole movie of of the tabernacle coming up out of Egypt and traveling with the people of Moses into the promised land and and how Joshua, you know, and just the whole, I mean, this is a whole epic. We'll, we'll get there. Like I said, I don't know how many years it will take me to get to Exodus, but we'll get there. All of that, Nathan's reminded of. And when you're in dream world, man, you, you, you see things, but the depth of what you see, like the meaning behind it is really, it, it just, 
it's so much deeper. Like when I get up and somebody asks me what I dream and I start talking about it, it just, there's layers and layers and layers. And that's why God uses dreams is because it, it's so much more uh, intense than just quote reading words on a, on a page and looking up a few meanings in the Greek and the Hebrew. Like it's, it's got a lot of depth to it, a lot of movement to it, a lot of color to it. So Nathan goes through this whole dream sequence, and this is how we know it wasn't a word of correction and guilt, is because when David got done hearing that he wasn't going to be allowed, he was or wasn't allowed, David David's role, his destiny, his purpose didn't include building the temple. That's really what happened. He was in he was empowered by that. David writes a song to him. He's like you know what, who, who am I? What of my family? You brought me this far. It's not, again, this isn't guilt. This is just a reminder to himself. Look how far I've come. And as if we, that were this wasn't enough in your sight, Sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of my house of your servant in this decree. Sovereign Lord is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word and the according to your will, you have done the great thing and made it known to your servant. How great are you? There is no one like you. There is no one, no other God but you. And you have, and we have heard it with our own ears. Who is like the Lord God of Israel, one nation on earth under God, who went out to redeem the people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders and driving out the nations and their gods from before your people who redeemed us from Egypt? You have established your people in Israel. For your very own forever, for the Lord, for Lord, you have become their God. And now, Lord, Lord God, keep forever the promise that you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that the name will be great forever. And then the people will say, The Lord God is, is mighty over Israel, and the house of the servant of David is established in your sight. Lord, Almighty God of Israel, you have re- revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you, sovereign Lord. You are Lord, you are God. Your, your covenant is trustworthy. You have made a promise of good things for your servant. Now be pleased and blessed for the house of your servant and may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken with your blessing. This house, your servant, will be blessed forever. Phew! <laughs> I know. I, I just couldn't. All right. So basically, this is what he's, he's singing. This is what he's writing. God, you're right. I mean, what you've what you've promised me is honestly incredible. What you're already making happen in my life is beyond my comprehension. Where you've brought me from, what you've done with my family, the increase that you've given me, the sons that you've given me, the 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 authority and influence that you've given me. Like honestly, you're right. Like just just doing more to do more is not. It's not what I'm here for. I'm here to do what you've called me to do. And what you've called me to do is enough. It's amazing. And I want you to, I I want what you promised to be true. I want to continue down this path. That's what he's saying. I want to continue down this path. I want to see the house of David, your servant, be established forever. I want to set up a pattern where they reap what we sow for generations. And what we sow is your your lordship, your sovereignty, your love over a nation that draws all nations to you. 
That's what I want. I want what you want. He's literally just praying what God wants back to him, which is a wonderful prayer to have. To pray the will of God back to the back to God, it's like it's like everybody's in agreement, and that's really what he's doing here. This is not a guilt-ridden poem. This is not about oh, I can't believe I asked to do too much. You're in charge. You're awesome. I'm just a worm. Oh, I should be crawling in the dirt and eating dust. You're you're the most majestic, amazing thing on the universe, and I'm just a horrible, horrible person who's just I'm just a shepherd I should be sleeping in in sheep urine and eating their poop because you're just so awesome and I'm so horrible I've heard prayers like this I've heard people just stand before the God who created them who said I love you forever I'm never leaving you and just repeat to the to their awesome heavenly father how horrible they are their child I cannot, if my son stood in front of me and, and spoke to me the way so many people approach God, it would freak me out because I'd be thinking, I love you. What are you talking about? Why are you rehearsing every bad thing you've ever done in front of me? I don't, I don't need to remember this. Why are you remembering it? Although, honestly, some of the bad things my, kid did, my, my kids have done are really funny now, but they're only funny because we are so far beyond them. I'm not saying God thinks they're funny because God removes your sin as far as the east from the west. He literally doesn't remember. And yet so many people want to remind him, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I mean, just constantly sin. Look at the, oh God, I thought this. God, I thought this. God, God, remove, remove that from me. Oh God, please, please. He's like, please, just honestly, love me. Let my love fill you, and and everything will be awesome. And we're like, but first I want to whip myself with the pain and guilt and shame. I deserve shame. It's like that old lady in, uh, in Princess Bride, right? Boo! Scum! Worm! Whatever she does. I, I can't, I know I'm misquoting it. It's just hilarious. Boo! <laughs> she's such a great character that's such a great movie David doesn't do this in the poem he is he is really tracking with God in this in this poem in this psalm he he's like I totally I'm whatever whatever you want I like where we're going I like the path we're on I like the choices we're making I like the results of those choices and I want to see those done forever Now we know it doesn't happen forever but this is this is what he wants in the moment what he really wants to see is exactly what God is calling for and that's an awesome thing And that's why I know even though Nathan had to go and, in essence, backtrack, which I'm sure isn't always fun for a prophet who, quote, hears from God. Like, if, any, if anything, this is a good, 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 good illustration of what happens in, quote, the world of the prophet. This is literally the office of the prophet, and he got it wrong. And it was okay. It was okay because he stayed connected to God and God corrected him 
but he didn't do it in a in a he didn't beat up Nathan and Nathan went and told David and David's response shows that it wasn't a guilt-ridden condemnation from God Almighty. It was, hey, let me just kind of correct your view on that. I, you're right. Your motive's good. Your heart's good. The provision's there. But let's just let's just go down the path we're going. I'll get a house. Don't you worry about me. And one of your sons, I'll pick to build it because they're going to be passionate about me. Like he doesn't even name who this son's going to be. He names the character of the son. The son is going to see me as their father. He's going to he's going to understand that my love is never away from him. Like that's the son I'll uh, I'll work with. So David David picks up and continues to to stockpile supplies for the temple. And as far as we know, uh, if you add it all up from what we pick up in in Chronicles and what we pick up uh, in in the uh, Book of Kings, David had stockpiled over a hundred billion dollars in gold and fifteen billion dollars in silver. And Solomon, when he builds the temple, is going to increase on that. Now, where did David get all this gold? Where did he get all this silver? Well, he got some of it from the earth. But man, that's that's a lot of gold. That's a lot of gold. And I don't know where all his mines were. Maybe maybe God contributed. Maybe maybe God sent some down from heaven in some beautiful mystical way maybe that's where solomon learned it, learned to ascend into the heavenly places maybe he watched his father do it maybe david was able to bring literal treasure from heaven to earth and solomon did it even more bob you crazy now you talking crazy bob yep yeah I know. Just ask yourself, what if? All right. Have yourself a great day. I'm sure I'll get some emails over that. It should be fun. Let's stay in conversation, everyone. Have a great day. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.